This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Do you like boats? Do you like big boats? Do you like poor people and the rich people they serve on big boats? Are you always like, what goes on below deck? Hi, this is Anna Hosnier. And Nick Turner. The hosts of Deckheads. And we want to take you on a fun and goofy adventure. In this binge-style podcast, we will watch and recap every episode of Bravo's Below Deck and all of its spinoffs. And we're going to release an episode a day so you can watch along with us and listen to our silly daily recaps. Listen to Deckheads when it drops on February 20th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy and I'm here today with another special guest from the HowStuffWorks offices. Yeah, hi Sarah. I'm Ben Bolin. Uh, I am a co-host of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know and a co-host of Car Stuff. So Ben seemed like a natural person to have during this little September series while Dublina is still out on maternity leave. And because Ben does cover two subjects, cars and conspiracies, it was sort of a toss up what I wanted you to come on the show and talk about. But I mean, conspiracies, that's really your specialty almost. I don't know if you're going to like oh. anything. <laughs> no, that's that, that's fine. Thanks so much. I, uh, I'm really happy to be here and I will put my tinfoil hat on for this episode at least because uh well first you know spoiler alert I think maybe we'll have a podcast from Scott a little later in I the think future we will on cars and and famous figures in auto history yes and uh we have that to look forward to uh so today let's take a look at a conspiratorial episode in U.S. history. Uh, today we're going to talk about a senator called Joe McCarthy and a little period called the Red Scare. You may have heard of it before. And <laughs> we're just going to sort of go over the background and the lead up to McCarthy's uh, rise to power, as you might call it, in this first episode. And then because this is such a huge story, we're going to keep on going and take it into a second podcast where we cover more about McCarthyism, where we talk about the Hollywood blacklists, all of the sort of better known side of McCarthyism. Yeah. And this is a good story because it's got all the perils, you know, it has everything a good story usually has except for romance. No romance, as far as we know, at as least. As far as we know, uh, Joe didn't really have that side of the story <laughs> play out. But we're going to see uh, how a conspiracy theory or a public panic can sort of get into the public consciousness and sweep the nation along, which is sort of what happened here. But... To really understand how this crazy situation occurred, we do, as you say, uh, have to go back to the beginning, right? What what were people afraid of? They were afraid of 
communism. They were afraid of communism. I mean, that's the simplest way to put it. And American post-war policy, so post-World War II policy, mm-hmm. was one of containment. So trying to contain this threat of communism abroad. But by the late 1940s, it seemed like things weren't being contained that well. The Soviets had the bomb. Uh, China had become communist. Mm. And people were, were becoming concerned with that, except that they were also already concerned with communism at home. And that was a really big part of it. Yeah, because there was a genuine communist party in the United States, and it had been there since 1919. As a, as a funny aside, the Red Scare we're talking about today is actually the second Red the Scare. second wave. Which is so, which is so strange um, that we've had this Red Scare, this widespread fear of communism, not once but twice in our nation's history. Uh, there, again... Genuine Communist Party is organized in 1919 in the United States. Uh, This doesn't necessarily mean, though, that every single member of this party is some sort of extremist or terrorist. Some agent. Right, right, a sleeper agent. Um, Real life is just not that cool. They might just have different political inclinations. Mm -hmm. But to combat this perceived threat of communism at home, the government had been investigating these groups, investigating suspicious activity for a number of years, really. Mm -hmm. Yes, and through several committees. Now, we're going to talk about the House Un-American Activities Committee uh, fairly frequently in parts of this podcast, and we'll probably just call it the HUAC. Yeah, I think that'll make it easier on us for sure. Yes, it's also important to remember that the HUAC did not come out of the blue. No. Right. It comes from, instead, a a sort of lineage of other similar committees that preceded it and then investigated suspicious groups. Now, when we say suspicious at this point in time, this is pre-1930s, 1940s, we're not just talking about communism. We're talking also about perhaps uh, fascist groups. We're talking also about um, hate groups such as the Ku Klux Klan. And... From these committees, uh, the the one directly in front of the HUAC is called the Dyes Committee. It's named after uh, the congressman who was heading this committee. The HUAC becomes a permanent committee in 1945. And what's interesting about that is the sort of predecessor of the HUAC, before it became a permanent committee Mm -hmm. at least, it wasn't very popular with lawmakers because it was a little witch hunty, Mm -hmm. it was expensive, and folks sort of thought that once Dyes retired, it might just go away. But uh, surprise, surprise, a representative from Mississippi named John Rankin really got into this and and worked to make sure that the committee got standing status. And many lawmakers, they might have not been thrilled with the idea of this unpopular committee continuing, Mm -hmm. but they felt compelled to vote for it because not voting for it could easily be perceived as doing something un-American if he's out there stating that its mission is going to be to investigate communists that might be hidden in the government. Yes, absolutely. People don't want to look like they support communism. This is a situation where maybe bad policy is good politics, if that makes sense. That makes sense to me. And so you have this new committee. It doesn't have a very popular past, and they've got to make a name for themselves. And so the HUAC really kicked off its investigations by focusing on Hollywood and the entertainment industry at first. And that was good publicity because it would stir up fear that Hollywood was um, just about 
the biggest, best, highest budget mm-hmm. propaganda machine that you could have. I mean, if communists were there, Hollywood would be, it would seem like a great place to go. And Hollywood already sort of had a love-hate relationship with the federal government because it was, it's very easy if you want to value vote to paint Hollywood as this just den of debauchery and sin and un-American values. So this is a natural progression. It's also a very shrewd choice. It is because you know who's in Hollywood, big stars, mm-hmm. celebrities, people who if you order them to come talk to your House committee, it's going to make the news. And and that's exactly what happened. The investigations of the motion picture industry started in 1947. And at first, they really did focus on big stars. And some of these were friendly witnesses. So they weren't uh, so much accusing these people of anything, but they wanted to get them out there talking. And an example of this is Gary Cooper. He was asked if the Communist Party should be outlawed in the United States. And he answered essentially, I don't know, I haven't read Marx, I don't really know much about communism, but from what I have heard, I don't like it. So, you know, just a good soundbite, a good thing mm-hmm. for the newspapers to cover Gary Cooper before this House committee. It was a it was a good way to get news about what they were doing out to the public. And also a way to get the public on your side. At this point, it seems as though, if the witness is friendly, it seems as though everybody could win. The committee looks good. Heck, the celebrity might get a chance to plug their upcoming films. We'll talk more about that later because not everybody was getting the softball question. Right, right. But, of course, these investigations by these groups did turn out some evidence of real espionage eventually. Not so much Hollywood, but... uh, Real possible spies were uncovered. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but mm-hmm. let's discuss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's discuss this. And we'll we'll be able to go into a little bit of depth about why these why why we're choosing our words so carefully when we say evidence of alleged espionage. <laughs> um it's still a matter up for debate. Our number one person would probably be considered Alger Hiss. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and take away lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it. And I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. 
Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Now, in 1948, an admitted ex-communist named Whitaker Chambers tells the, uh, tells the committee that this his fellow who works for the State Department or used to work for the State Department is a communist. And what's more, he says he's a communist spy. Now, currently, Hiss, at this time, is not the kind of guy you would think of as a spy. He's, uh, first off, he's from an established American family. He worked for the State Department. He's president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Hardly a shifty character. He's got a lot of friends who even come forward and say, no way. There's no Mm. way that this could be true. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point. Now, of course, Hiss is not the only person that Chambers accuses. He also names uh, people like Ward Pigman, uh, Julian Wadley, other, uh, other people that may or may not be spies. And here's the thing with Hiss. Hiss is actually convicted in 1950, but he's not convicted of spying. No, because during his hearings in front of the HUIC, he comes across as very polished, very level-headed, especially compared to Chambers, who (laughs) doesn't come across that way. Not at all. Um, Even though there's still some pretty suspicious evidence that comes out in these hearings, namely the best-named papers ever, the pumpkin papers, which were (laughs) apparently stored by Chambers in a hollowed-out pumpkin in his pumpkin patch. Um, Even though some of that seems pretty questionable sure. for, for Hiss's innocence. The hearing is considered inconclusive. It's when he decides to sue Chambers for libel that he finally is convicted of something. Yes, and he is convicted of perjury in 1950. Uh, again, this is not a conviction that the committee gives him, but this, this mark, uh, this conviction of perjury, certainly affects the way people think about his case. And uh, you made such a good point earlier, Sarah, about star power, about how using celebrities will sort of legitimize the HUAC. Uh, Somebody else caught on to this very quickly, and that person was Richard Nixon. He was involved. Yes, Richard Nixon was one of the driving forces in the Hiss case. And uh, you can make a fairly strong argument that this made him prominent enough on the national sphere. I mean, it certainly contributed to him later running for the presidency. Yeah, it, it certainly elevates his recognition nationally. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited. And uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. <laughs> yeah, you sounded so calm and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, Our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too.
Hi, everybody. My name is Max Homa. And I'm Shane Bacon, and we want to tell you about our new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. I'm a PGA Tour champion and a guy that has dreamed his whole life to be on the largest stage, compete in the biggest events, and have a chance at making history in a sport that has been a bit of a roller coaster for me as a professional. I know the only reason you chase this dream of being a pro is you could one day become a crossover media darling. You, too, could be a co-host of a podcast. And that dream is now a reality. Max and I will take you through life on the PGA Tour, and our goal is to allow you in as we both pay our respective rents and bills from this silly sport that we can't help but love. So do us a favor. Download and subscribe to Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. It's our opportunity to bring to life the conversations we are already having, the rants and tangents we will tackle, and the best and worst parts of being a professional golfer. Way more best parts, bro. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today, though, we were saying that this is an alleged case of spying. Right. Um, today, historians still discuss whether or not Hiss was actually a Soviet spy. And if he was, how much did he do? And mm-hmm. the reason behind that is because papers do continue to be de- declassified, some suggesting pretty strongly that he may have really yeah. been a spy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then he also has uh, he also has a group of historians who say that, for one reason or another, he was not a spy. That he was just being caught up in the moral panic that we're we're going to see coming out here. Um, but the thing is, as these documents were declassified, most notably the Venona Papers, uh, they contain stuff from the KGB that we had not heard of, we being the American public. And, uh, you know, I'm not being a KGB spy master myself, <laughs> I'm not going to say one thing either uh, either way definitively other than there is still a surprisingly vigorous debate over uh, which of the people Chambers accused of spying were actually spies. But, you know, we can we can debate over that all we want. But, of course, at the time, it seems like this is a fairly successful case yeah. against a possible spy. Mm-hmm. The next big case came in March 1951, and that's when Julius and Ethel Rosenberg went to trial for, quote, conspiracy to commit espionage. And um, this is another case that is debated endlessly, how much involvement they had, how much involvement especially Ethel Rosenberg had. Mm -hmm. They were found guilty, though. They were sentenced to death, electrocuted at Sing Sing Prison on June 19th, 1951. So, we're going through all of this just to give you guys a good picture of what the world is like at this time. So we have Gary Cooper testifying. We have people being uh, sentenced to death for for conspiracy to commit espionage. Um, and a lot of folks very scared about um, the, the state of communism in the world. Mm-hmm. And as uh, Whitaker's chamber says, and this is something that's important to remember as we go forward, there really were some communist subversives. This was not a completely fabricated panic. It's important to remember that there's a grain, and I emphasize a <laughs> grain of, of truth to, uh, to the, the story. And I think now it's time to introduce our protagonist, or our, is he a protagonist? Antihero, I'm Anti-hero. not sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, one Senator Joseph McCarthy. 
And around this time, around this time that we've been discussing, McCarthy is becoming America's number one communist hunter. And he was not involved in the trials that we've discussed. And uh, he did eventually model his cases on HUAC cases, but he was not a chair of the HUAC. Uh, he really focused his work more on the armed forces, more on the State Department, Um not so much the the celebrities and these really high-profile spies. But we've got to give you some background on McCarthy, too, because he really does kind of come out of nowhere almost. Yeah, it's strange because the he didn't have the best reputation as a senator before he became involved with these searches for communist subversives. No, not at all. I mean, that's why he got involved in the first place. So McCarthy had run for Senate as a Wisconsin Republican in 1946, and he had done... Some work before then. He had worked as a lawyer, as a judge. He had served in World War II, uh, even though he exaggerated his war record a bit in order to win his election. He claimed he was a, a tail gunner. He had a totally normal war record, nothing to be concerned about, mm-hmm. um, but pumped it up a little bit. Um, so he won his Senate seat, and then he didn't have a great reputation among his senator peers from the start either. I read one article by Richard Cavendish in History Today who said that his colleagues considered him unscrupulous, which I think is a pretty, (laughs) that word might come to mind later (laughs) in the second episode. Mm -hmm. Um, He, so he wasn't too popular with them and he only ended up getting one committee appointment. Didn't seem like a real up and coming kind of senator. Right. He wasn't exactly uh, someone they thought would be the president later. No, or even uh, even get a second term. Or attorney senator, (laughs) yeah, to be fair. Uh, This begins to change uh, shortly after the Hiss Convention. Joseph McCarthy gives one of uh, the most important speeches of his career. And... In this speech, uh, he's talking to a Republican women's group in Wheeling, West Virginia. And this is 1950, February. In this speech, which, which we have a, a transcript of here, he begins by uh, commemorating uh, Abraham Lincoln and railing against the growing communist threat to the United States. Now, remember, this is, ha- this is happening as the Hiss case is closed and as the Rosenbergs are still uh, in the process of getting sentenced to death. So this fear is here. And then in front of this crowd, he claims to have proof of, depending on who you ask, he <laughs> claims to have proof of either 205 individuals employed at the State Department or 57 individuals who are either communist or sympathetic to communism. Now, this speech is crazy because he literally is waving this piece of paper at these people as he's saying he has this list. He's exposing, if you will, a conspiracy theory that there's not only just one or two uh, communist subversives or Soviet agents in the government, but that the State Department especially is riddled. A with whole list's worth. A, a whole list worth. Now, here's the thing. Later, um, this you could look at this as one of the beginnings of the McCarthy era. Uh, later... The number that he quotes changes when he rehashes this speech. Sometimes it's not exactly 57. Sometimes it's not exactly 205. And there's one other thing about this list. 
it doesn't actually exist. There was no list. There was a piece of paper, but that's it. Nobody even knows what was on that piece of paper. So that is our dramatic cliffhanger for today. We will pick up next time and discuss what we can about this mystery list and um, how McCarthy's career really skyrockets after this, because clearly it is a fantastic piece of stagecraft to get up, talk about what everybody is most scared of, and have a real list in your hand and wave it around. Who knows who could be on it? So we're going to be talking about all of that next time. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to uh, email us about maybe the first Red Scare, other things that you'd like to talk about, spies, whatever it may be. You can email us. We are at historypodcast at discovery.com. We're also on Twitter at Mist in History, and we are on Facebook. And I was trying to think of an article for this, and one that seems pretty obvious for this first part is how communism works, right? So everybody could go check that one out, get a primer, figure out what people were so concerned about in the first place, and tune in next time when Ben and I pick up the story of McCarthyism. You can find that by searching the homepage for How Communism Works at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. going to Italy. After the success of last year's trip to Paris, we are planning another similar trip, still with defined destinations, this time to Rome and Florence. Yeah, we are going to spend a week exploring some amazing things. We're going to have city tours of both Rome and Florence. We're going to see the Roman Colosseum, the Vatican Museum, and the Sistine Chapel, St. Peter's Basilica, Vatican City. This is just a tiny fraction of all the stuff we're going to get to do. Yeah, it's May 14th to 21st, 2020. And to get more information, go to defineddestinations.com and scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and take away lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to the women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.